This week on a lively experiment, healthcare in crisis in Rhode Island. What is the future? And digging into the details of Pawtucket's proposed big development plan, we'll have the latest. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, Donna Perry, communications consultant, Jim Vinton, president of the NAACP Providence branch, and Ed Acorn, editorial page editor for the Providence Journal. Welcome to this week's A Lively Experiment. It is great to have you with us. News that Lifespan lost $35 million last year and that its competitor, Care New England, has no interest in renewing merger talks, has some asking what is the future of health care in Rhode Island. Both hospital groups are in need of significant capital improvements, but don't have the resources to make it happen. Don, it seems like we've been doing this dance for 10 years. Merge, not merge, where does Boston fit in? But Lifespan's economic news, that's kind of a clarion call here. Yeah, I think that that is the tipping point. I mean, we have had the dance of these, uh, the talks, they break down, they're, they're back together. Um, and I would just say that I also think because it is a tipping point, I think you have a lot of conditions that have created this moment. You have a changing demographics, you have an aging state in Rhode Island, you have a high percentage of Medicaid recipients. That certainly affects hospital systems and their bottom line. Um, but the fact that there is this sort of hostile tone between the two CEOs, uh, Lifespan and, and certainly Care New England saying he couldn't get returned phone calls, I think that's very problematic. I think we're at a point where you need stronger governor leadership. And the governor has this tendency on these difficult issues sometimes to say, let them work it out. They can talk about it. I'm sorry. You know, this is Rhode Island's major hospital system. I think there is, uh, th it would not be terrible to have the partners, uh, the expertise, the hospital From levels Boston. they bring. Partners right. Group, yeah. Mass General, uh, Brigham and Women's. I mean, this is what 2019, 2020 healthcare looks like. So I think for the governor to sit on the sidelines or at least not push them back to negotiating uh, is a mistake, and I think it is a tipping point for the state. Well, I think the governor probably will push them back to get together, because actually that loss by um, uh, the hospital lifespan was more like $55 million if you don't count the investments that, that they, they made. They made some money on investments, about $20 million investments, and they're saying that in order to kind of forestall the, you know, this happening again, they're going to have early retirements. I just don't know, I think there's enough people to yeah, can't really retire to kind of The government tried that a few times, didn't it? Yeah, they? the government tries and it never really works. So if that's, if that's the solution to try to get out of that deficit, I don't think it's going to work. So I think it's going to be, people are going to be forced to sit down together with Brown as well. And I think that eventually, maybe then you can start bringing in Boston. Uh, or partners uh, after that happens. But I think that this new reality of them losing that much money and then talking about maybe early retirements being part of a solution probably is not going to be a, a solution enough. Short term, but not long term. Ed? Yeah, I think uh, Lifespan's our largest private uh, uh, employer, and this is vitally important to our economy. It's vitally important to our health care in the state. And I think uh, the whole system is going to be picked apart by Boston unless these entities merge and make sure there's enough uh, business here to maintain very high quality health care. 
And I thought this thing was outrageous that uh, the merger fell apart apparently because the head of Care New England, which is the much smaller entity, insisted on running the whole thing. Right. Uh, I want Care New England to uh, waive the non-disclosure agreement that uh, everybody else has agreed to waive and show the public, the public matters in this state, show them what, what the deal was, what a merger would look like, and let's let's get this out into the public. Well, and Care New England, obviously, it helped a lot that they finally closed Memorial because that was dragging down the bottom right. line. So they got that in kind of a short-term shot of, okay, we're in better financial shape now, but for the long run, not good. The other thing is, for the long run, if the Medicaid really has changed, yeah. that's not, unless the, unless the federal government does something about that, you got to live with that, and it seems that Lifespan kind of got knocked because of that. Yeah, and I think you know, you have a lot of competing things going on here. And you, again, you do have some changing conditions. Um, you have, you know, we're about to be 2020. You have growing expertise, specialization in healthcare. I don't think it's unnatural that Rhode Islanders might be seeking sometimes higher level of specialization that you might see out of, of, out of physician networks, out of Mass General. So mm -hmm. I think that is where the growth is. I don't think that it is, I agree with you that Lifespan is the central employer, but I also think they, they have to go with not what the way Rhode Island has done it for 25 years. You have to go with where it is now. Uh, and it could be inevitable that you have to have a big player like Partners in the mix, in the merging. I think some of the pushback, honestly, is also, as always, it's about jobs and about who is going to control, and, and who's going to control the jobs. Right, ultimately. Yeah. I think there's going to be a merger because Care New England, they didn't have those kinds of losses that Lifespan had, but they, they their, their gains were very, very modest. So what right. is putting those two or three with Brown? And they don't have the capital do. resources that right. they really need right. for the aging infrastructure. And they still got that reimbursement issue <clears throat> in terms of Medicaid and Medicare. That's not going to go away. It might even get worse. So I think that there's going to be enough on the table to talk about to merge, and then partners can come in as well. And I think that you're going to see probably something like that happen with the merger first and then partners coming in. All right. Uh, last week, uh, we were talking, the big story was about this uh, new development, proposed development in Pawtucket. Now, Ed, I know you're still in therapy over the Paw Sox leaving. Yes. You haven't gotten over. That's oh, going to yes. be a lifelong issue with you. It will. Um, will you go to Worcester or not? You're not going to Worcester. No. All right. He's doing it on principle. Um, at first blush, what do you think? So this is a little bit different, some of the same, but uh, bigger in scope beyond the ballpark, what they want to do. And that's the big question. Can they make it work? Right. I mean, I think it's a fantastic proposal. It would be wonderful for Pawtucket. But I just, I mean, the question is, are they going to be able to get private financing for this and uh, and fill the hotels, fill the house right. and fill the office. It right? seems like a uh, it seems like a long shot to me to tell uh, to be honest. But, you know, let's see what happens. And I like uh, having a vision. I like. Uh, so I think something big has to happen there in order for it to be uh, powerful enough to attract the, the people and the money and so forth. So we'll see what happens. I do, th I do think, though, it's a long shot. I don't see a great uh, interest in private equity moving into Pawtucket, but we'll see. Wouldn't you think, that, but these guys talk a good game. Wouldn't you think they're fairly confident and it's part of it is their money, too. So, I mean, you would think they would have done the studies. Do you think they're misjudging the market? Uh, 
I don't think, I'm not sure they've done the studies, and I, I think this is a very preliminary proposal to, uh, designed to generate a lot of uh, excitement, but we'll see what happens. Well, I'm optimistic, you know, and, I, and, I, and even if they haven't done a lot of studies, I mean, there's a new train station that's going to be located right there, and that's going to have some positive impact regardless of who goes in there. And I, and I know that this has to be, you know, reluctance here in Rhode Island because of Studio 38 and UHIP and IDT contracts and POSOX, and, you know, there's a sense of pessimism in terms of anything big happening. But I think that this probably will happen. I think Mayor Grebbin has done a great job in terms of fighting hard for his city. I think that uh, Sandra Cano and, and Tobin, in terms of introducing that legislation to get things going, I think is a positive sign. And I think that people underestimate the, the fact that soccer is big in, in Pawtucket and in Rhode Island. You have a lot of immigrants, uh, especially from Cape Verde and other places in, in West Africa, that love soccer. So you're going to have people that are going to want to go to a minor league soccer venue. Uh, so I think there's some of the elements of there. Uh, Apex, that site might not be available, but I think that the developer has already said that he, could, he will do it all on the other side of the river. I think the growth of soccer, you're correct, Jim, the growth of soccer is something that we haven't, you know, seen like a toehold uh, stadium or franchise here. I think one of the things, though, and this happens to Rhode Island, especially when you talk about right at the border at Pawtucket a lot, is the question of market share. And when you talk about the studies, I mean, Kraft, who is tops and MLS, global yeah. known as, you know, he certainly knows how to run uh, franchises. I mean, they are building up that soccer pro program, it's the revolution, you know, uh, that's right up the road and away at Foxborough. And when you talk about market share, the audience, the fans, the playing interest, I don't know. I mean, they're trying to make that a very big, big, uh, you know, international, global, you know, team. So I think that could be an issue for whether is there enough of a market they're going to come to Pawtucket where you're starting at the ground level. I don't know. I also think there's problems about, you know, really who... Uh, whether the taxpayer gets on the hook for sort of, uh, you have a lot of um, in, in the ground costs. infrastructure costs and problems, and you have some, you know, really polluted sites. So, but um, I also wonder, and look, I'm not a big soccer fan. I'm not that demographic. I, I understand it's coming. I also wonder whether, though, it's a Paw Sox, Red Sox model where that they don't cannibalize each other, but the Paw Sox was a nice way. We were talking about this off camera. To take your family, it's relatively cheap if it's close. You know, in this state, Foxborough might as well be, for some people, New Hampshire, True. right? So you go and do the minor league thing rather than go to the revolution, even if the numbers but are it down. Is, it is literally 20 minutes down the road. And, and that's a pretty far and away. It's not, it's not like... The Red Sox hammering you with, uh, with prices. Yeah. Prices. So it's not like you're fighting for a seat at Gillette Stadium to see the so, revolution. But we'll see. We'll see. I hope Jim's right. I think it's an affordable venue, but even more affordable than let's say what's happening in Foxborough, and and for the people that live in that general community, I think they're going to attend it. It's going to be like the way the Paw Sox was vis-a-vis -vis the Red Sox. Years ago. An affordable venue. Uh, and I think that you're going to see uh, people coming there because you have a lot of uh, different immigrants uh, in Rhode Island that uh, they really love soccer as a first sport, not as maybe the fourth or fifth like some of us. So I, I'm, I'm optimistic about it. And so also 120 days, right? So we're going to know a lot in the next three or four months to get to the next step. But yeah. a lot of work to be done, right? Right. I would, I, I have... I would hope to be an independent <laughs> study as well as, as if this thing is going to go forward. Let's, uh, let's get somebody who's not the Commerce Corporation looking at this. Right? And, and I would just, just to finish up, I would say we'll see, though, if it's going to be affordable. Because the problem with Rhode Island, when you see, uh, whenever there's a big 
When you have investors and you have a big construction project, we all know how the dance goes. They, go, they jack up the cost of the construction, and you've got construction companies that you know think it's a candy store. And so what ends up happening is then the bottom line, the end line costs, tickets and everything, parking is often then not so affordable. So right. It, you're right. It would be nice. They have if, to get that sweet spot of attractability. Well, yeah. On so price. we'll see how that plays out. All right. Uh, 2020 right around the corner. It's going to be a big year. We have the census coming up. There, uh, There's a congressional seat at issue whether Rhode Island holds enough population to be able to uh, sustain that second seat. Redistricting coming. Jim, there's an awful lot going and you've got your eye on it. Yes. Uh, yeah, we're looking at the census and redistricting. Uh, starting with the census, uh, we receive here in the state of Rhode Island $3.8 billion with a B dollars from the federal government. And even if we're are undercounted by 1%, we can not only lose that seat, but we talk, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars that Rhode Islands desperately need. So what we're doing, and I'm part of the Rhode Island Complete Count Committee uh, that the governor put together uh, with um, you know uh, about 60 other people, uh, we're trying to make sure that we have everyone counted. That federal funding is vital. I mean, even the Congress people themselves would say it's more important than even than their seat. <laughs> I've heard them say that. So we need to make sure that all Rhode Islanders participate in the census. It's safe. It's 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 uh, it's efficient. You can do it in multiple kind of ways, and it just has to happen because we can't afford to lose any money. But hasn't Rhode Island been in the entire time I've been here? You're either fifty thousand north or south of a million. The population really doesn't change. Have we lost that much? Yeah. Right. Wait. If we are undercounted, not that we're losing population to other states, if but we in don't the count census. everybody, we have 25% yeah. of our people in Rhode Island have been uh, described as hard to count people. So that's a problem. That's a lot of people. We can't lose anybody because 3.8 billion cannot become 2.8 billion. That would be devastating to our state. So we're out here trying to make sure that the, the communities that are the hardest to count, some of the communities that I represent, are counted. So I'm just making an appeal that everybody get counted because if we don't, we're going to be devastated in terms of the federal funding that affects all. I mean, we have Medicaid, SNAP, Medicare, public housing, children's health insurance, WIC, Head Start. I mean, I can go on and on in all the programs that are funded by the federal government. So it affects literally every family in Rhode Island. How are those meetings with 60 people? How's that going? <laughs> uh, you know, they're pretty interesting, but uh, we, we all get along. We all have the same mission. We want to make sure everybody in Rhode Island is counted. Uh, and I would just say that this issue sort of points up the larger issue for Rhode Island in terms of the private sector economic growth um, that just isn't there, you know, and, and people can have troubles and, and you want to help people if they need to be on Medicaid, absolutely, but the problem for the state is that is the only, the only growth in the population. This is a big sign, come to Rhode but, Island but to get the, the services, that's the only growth in the population. Right? And, and to your point, Jim, it is, but it is very risky. There is a good amount of exodus. Uh, and so I think there's a very good chance they are going to lose one of the seats. I, I think that may be very much on track for that. Yeah. I think if we count everybody, we will not lose a seat. If we don't count everybody, if there's even a 1% deviation, that it's very one, close. Yeah, we're so close that 1% could lose us a seat. So we can't afford to lose anybody. The numbers I see suggest we're going to lose the seat. I hope we do count everybody. But yeah. um, <clears throat> I, I agree with Donna. This is a... Uh, other states have grown much faster than Rhode Island. It's because they are have, they have more energetic economies. People go where the jobs are. And I think Rhode Island's 
persistently failed to grow its economy, to do the things it needs to grow, including fix its uh, public schools. It just hasn't done it. And wasn't Rhode Island was a little bit of a test market early on? Believe it or not, uh, there was one county in the country selected to be the test last year. And that county in the nation was Providence County. It was kind of a dry run. It was a dry run. It was looked, it was, it was looked at as one of the counties that most reflected America. <clears throat> and so they figured they'd do the test here so they'd get, the, uh, get all the kinks out of the, um, out of the system to make sure that they'd have a better shot of running a better uh, census in 2020. So, so, you know, we've already had people that have experienced somewhat the census, but we want to make sure people know that wasn't the official census. That was a dry run. <laughs> right. They're like, weren't that, you here last year? What right, are you doing right. back? So that's, a, so that's a concern. That was a dry run. The, the real census is that as of April 1st, you're going to start seeing stuff in the middle of March. Uh, but the, the fact that we were the only county in the country to be the test run, that, that was interesting, if nothing else. Remember they, they tested that weird Pepsi here years ago, and yeah. I was like, why are yeah. they doing that here in Rhode Island? Right. Maybe it was the same thought. Sure. It's America. And, and just lastly, the problem for the state, um, New England is, you know, very tiny borders, so a lot of us are evidence where it's, it's very easy for people to move out of the state right. but not leave the region uh, and just, you know, go up the highway and, and have better education opportunities or for kids and, and, and a better economy and jobs and, and really better run governments. So I think it's a persistent problem. And um, I would be surprised if the state is not viewed as having declining population. And that's going to affect what happens here. All right. The uh, Wexford Innovation Center is the, the centerpiece of uh, what's going on on the 195. It took a lot of time to uh, come together. They had the big ribbon cutting. And then we read in Mr. Uh, Acorn's editorial, uh, they built it, but not as many people are coming as they expected. Right. There's, uh, t I guess, two full floors that are completely empty. It's, so if anybody's looking for space, right? It was right? a huge, uh, and we supported this, and I still do support it. It was a huge public investment. Not only the building, but uh, the free land, um, the... Great uh, view of the pedestrian bridge, the, right? Uh, the, the parking garage we built uh, completely with uh, taxpayer money. So it's the idea was you get these small companies in this building and they'll sort of interact and create some energy and, and sp spin off into big companies. So I hope that happens, but uh, so far uh, I think the governor and uh, Stephen Pryor have not done as good a job as they should. Now the devil's advocate will say it's only been five months. That's right. So do you have hope time will help or not? You think well, you need to be a little more proactive? The problems are this, these are uh, above market rents for this building, and uh, it's hard to see who they're going to bring in here. I hope they, I hope they keep reaching out. Uh, Stephen Pryor, who's the Commerce Secretary, says this is good to have in our portfolio because if somebody comes along, you can say, hey, we got this building Immediate right downtown. I can see the concern. You just mentioned the, the, the free the parking garage and the, and the investment and, the, and all of it. And I think if you told it up, it's like $82 million. So I could see people being concerned about public investment of $82 million. And I guess other than Cambridge Innovation Center, uh, Johnson & Johnson is not there and Brown... Uh, was already there, or they were across the street or right, whatever. Right. They just right. moved in. It's already there. So there's some concern. Uh, but, you know, I think that, you know, you have to be optimistic. I know in Philadelphia they did something similar. Uh, and they have 75,000 jobs in West Philadelphia, right off the University of Pennsylvania's campus, right where I still live. So it, it worked in Philadelphia. I don't know if the market situation is so different in Providence that we couldn't get 800 jobs as opposed to the 75,000 in Philadelphia that Wexford has. But we'll see. 
And, and the problem for um, Providence, I mean, you say it's just five five months right now, but let's face it, the land it took ten years. Well, the to land get is to... ten years right. sitting there. So you know, uh, I also think it's not just an issue of city to city. Today, you know, and you see this with companies, they don't have to go to Boston where it's way way high, of course, expensive, and they're not going to look at Providence, which still has among the highest commercial square footage costs in the country. And the only way you're going to get this kind of, we're a tier B type of city, is you want to make it really attractive because it's going to be much more cost savings. That's not what happens here. Uh, you have a lot of real estate magnet people and they're owning empty buildings and they're very nervous. If they're going to put in a parking garage, they way inflate the price. You have inflated prices to build. Uh, and then I think it also comes down to simply the workforce and the amount of talent. And can you plug them into biotech? And I'm sure if a company comes to the governor or commerce secretary and says, can you deliver us 700 people trained at this level? I would be very surprised that they can do but that. But you would think with all of the great, you think of Providence. You think of Providence, yeah, Brown, D.C., that if they JW. didn't have, I'll be honest, Brown University is like saving. I mean, if you didn't have Brown, I don't know who's going to occupy a lot of that land. What about so. the rest of the 195 land? Still, it's Same incredibly story. sluggish. And yeah. uh, when somebody, and we're I, last I checked, we're in a pretty good economy, right? Right. When somebody like Fain comes in and says, "Oh, I want to spend three hundred million dollars or whatever," and uh, they say, "No, <laughs> don't get Ed go, going on the Fain Tower, the Sox. We'll be here all so, day." So, <laughs> uh, you know, you we do have this sort of getaway to people who want to invest in in Rhode Island, and I think that's a big mistake. All right, let's get to outrages, and then we, of course, we want to talk about impeachment. Mr. Vincent, do you have anything this week? I have a kudo. Oh, go ahead. You know, usually I have an outrage, but a kudo. The city of Providence, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, somebody found a noose at the CDDPW and contacted me, and um, uh, I told them that I would do whatever I could to be supportive because, you know, you can't have nooses anywhere in Rhode Island. It's a form of intimidation, and it's it's a hate crime as far as I'm concerned. So the city of Providence, I, within two hours, five media news outlets contacted me in terms of what the NAACP would say. And I said, look, you know, uh, the city needs to do a very thorough investigation. They need to do it quickly and they need to be decisive. Well, within 24 hours, they fired one person. And then within 48 hours, they fired the other person. So I think the city acted quickly, they took it seriously, and they moved and they moved decisively. So I give the city kudos for that because it could have ended up in a different kind of way. But that also says to me there might have been some prior, because you know the unions, and it's really tough. I thought the same thing. Wow, they got they got rid of them so quickly. Usually it drags on for months. Somebody gets a slap on the wrist, right? That's what I was thinking, but it didn't happen. They both got fired, so I give the city. And I also give the media kudos because they took it seriously too. I, within two hours, five media outlets was contacting me, and sometimes... You know, something like that might not be a story some other place, but it was here in Rhode Island, so I give the media kudos, too. My uh, outrage is that the climate change debate has been taken over by these uh, hysteria-driven youth-oriented movement and Sunrise Boston, which is part of Sunrise Movement, and you see them around the country. You know, they, they are the group that they were, they took over uh, Beacon Hill at the Massachusetts State House last week. They were screaming outside of Charlie Baker's office, and they were screaming at Ramondo back in November. Uh, this group has turned what has used to be a science-driven 
you know, debate, debate lo right? looking at some rational planning. No one is denying there is climate change, by the way. That's Except not, President Trump. That's not, but that's not what this is about. They have turned this into a fossil fuels are evil and they have to be banned from the earth, which I think that is fiction. And the reason they're screaming at people like Baker and the speaker there is because they want you have if you frame an issue as they have that it is an emergency and it is a crisis when there's an emergency there's no time for incremental steps there's no time for rational long-term planning and my third argument with them is they have made children teenagers and children are front and center to their movement it is strategic uh, they may say oh it's wonderful to involve them I call it indoctrination of children they want them to run around and say you know gas and oil are evil and we can't have them so I think uh, in mass which has made steps it's not like they haven't they have a 100 percent renewables legislation they want that thing turned around they think in 15 years for instance you're going to have all electricity in Massachusetts from recyclables. Now, if you listen to people in the power industry, wind power is not always reliable. Right. Um, Massachusetts is struggling to get, you know, the T or, or commuter rail to run on time. So I think that it's, it's just shameful and they have, it's culminated with the coronation of Greta Thunberg, as we saw, as person right. of the year. I just think it's ridiculous. Teenagers cannot resolve this. Uh, and this kind of a group, Sunrise Boston, et cetera, that, that's where they're going with this. What do you have, Ed? Uh, I'm disappointed in Elizabeth Warren uh, for her hypocrisy over uh, private schools um, or charter mm -hmm. schools. She's come out against charter schools. She used to be in favor of them. She's dancing to the tune of the teachers' unions, which is as powerful on the Democratic side as the NRA is on the Republican side. Uh, she says minority parents come to her and say, uh, you got, you, your kids got to go to a pri private school. She said, no, my kids went to public school. Yeah. When they, in fact, her son went to the, some of the most expensive private schools in the country. She wants to deny poor and minority parents the kind of opportunities she had and she says, well, go, go fix the schools if you don't like them. It's like, that's not, yeah. that's not a real answer. People need choices. They need opportunities. And I think we see in Providence with Achievement First, uh, it, it's tremendous uh, aid for minority kids. All right, just a couple of minutes left. Um, probably no surprise the way the impeachment, uh, impeachment hearings are playing out. They went late last night. We're taping on a Friday morning. Um, Thoughts about where we're going on so, this? So, you know, they have this 90,000 hours thing in, in judiciary. Yesterday goes to midnight. They're going to vote this morning. I think, look, I think earlier in the fall, they had some credibility. I think they had some notable State Department people saying, you know, this was a very confused situation. I think the Democrats are losing all credibility on this at this point. Um, they, they're going to have the vote, but I think they're lost credibility. I think these very two narrow articles, I don't think the public is with them, you know, and they, they don't understand that. And they want to believe. Because it's a lot of rush. It's a oh, rush, of course, rush, rush. It's confusing. And I, I, I think they've lost it. I respectfully disagree. Nobody's above the law. Uh, you know, it says right there that you can't go to a foreign government and try to rig an election, a future election by uh, talking about a potential opponent. Uh, he didn't talk about corruption at all until Joe Biden announced his candidacy at all, ever. So it's just the timeline is just way off. And if they look the other way and say, okay, well, let's let them get away with it uh, because there's another election coming up, 
that he might be able to influence that one too. Uh, I think that it's irresponsible of them that have taken an oath. If you do something that's impeachable, then the, the Congress has to go after you. 30 right. seconds, you get the yeah. last 30 seconds. I think all signs show this is going to be a loser for the Democrats. They, <clears throat> the independents aren't going along. They ran a process that was completely partisan. They couldn't bring over anybody from the other side. What about that? Politics <clears throat> should have nothing to do with it. It shouldn't be a political calculation. Even if he well, did it's something a political, wrong. It's, it's, it, it's it, a political... Okay, it is. It's a certain extent. But either you did something wrong or you didn't, and he did. He did something wrong. It's There's impeachable. No there was no he obstructed the Congress. Out. He said, don't, don't even go down. Can I Final seconds? word. Final word. Quick prediction. They may have trouble getting the vote. Uh, that vote might be two votes apart. You mean in the House. Much closer yeah, yeah. than you think. Next week. Watch. All right. Come back next week and we'll see if Donna is correct yeah. on that. Folks, thank you for <laughs> thank you for joining us. Donna and Ed and Jim, we got fist bumps going all the way around. Folks, we hope you uh, are enjoying the holiday season. We hope you'll join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great weekend. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.